0: Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. The level of submission in any relationship is determined by, and cannot exceed, the level of trust. Mel Ferrier
1: Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode fifteen. Hey, I'm G and I'm M. And this is the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. You know, our name has actually
0: changed over time because you preface it as the Kinky Nerdy and Polly Podcast. Then it was like Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. Then it, or Kinky, Kinky Nerdy and the and sign stamp, yeah. whatever it's called. Like we were writing it out, then we were using the sign, na- symbol. Now it's just kinky, nerdy, poly podcast. So uh, I, I never know what to write anymore.
1: I guess this is the problem with having a amateur production is there no standardization of branding. Right.
0: Yeah. So anyway, sorry to, uh, that tangent.
1: So I am. Now that we're off the tangent, <laughs> and back on the episode. Back on the episode. I'm what here. is the episode about?
0: The episode is about power exchange relationships. Specifically, we're going to talk about a little bit about pointers and pitfalls of power exchange
1: relationships. All right. Why did you decide to do this topic for this episode? I'm just curious.
0: Well, to be honest, there was a couple different topics that I was kind of throwing around in my head. I wasn't really sure. And I asked X, my boy, Mm -hmm. um, who's also my boyfriend. I asked him, what topic would be most interesting to you to hear about right now? You know, I really value his input. Yeah. So I threw around a couple different ideas, and he said, honestly, I think power exchange relationships would be really cool to listen to and to learn about. And it is something that is very popular within the kink community, and we haven't touched on it yet. So I thought, like, you know, it's a good idea to actually talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's a good idea, and I'm glad you brought it up because... Uh, I think as our listeners know, I'm not particularly interested in power exchange relationships in general. Uh, but I'd also like to touch upon something you said. You said X is your boy yep. and your boyfriend. Yep. Could you uh maybe define like what you mean by that difference or
0: Yeah, so X is primarily my vanilla partner in that we go on dates together, normal vanilla dates, um, we support each other in a normal like, equal kind of relationship. Power-neutral power, power neutral relationship is what I've heard in the past. So that's our primary mode of operation is, like, boyfriends. And then he's also my boy. So we do do kink together. We have somewhat of a natural power exchange relationship in terms of something. So it's very natural for me to just ask him to refill my water glass or to help me to cook, for example. In a more DSE way. And we engage in DSE scenes as well. Um, So there's always sort of a a low-key power exchange situation within our dynamic that could come on at any time or off at any time. And then it's more enhanced during scenes. But he's the S-type of that situation, the submissive, and I am the D-type, the dominant in that situation.
1: So in this case, Boy is sort of referring to a submissive type role. Yes. Uh, which I believe, going back to our episode about leather culture, this is a term that comes from leather culture, gay leather culture.
0: It can uh, have its origination there. There's other communities that have also used it, okay. um, such as the little community. Age players might use it.
1: I I feel like there's more recent development than leather culture. Am I wrong about that? or
0: You know, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah. It I...
0: really is hard to say. I would say like, because yeah, normally in, in age play, you hear more about the daddy girl dynamics, um, daddy little girl mm-hmm. or daddy dominant little girl dynamics, DDLG, right? Yeah. But there's also mommy boy dynamics and there's daddy boy dynamics. But yes, I would say if you've heard of a daddy boy relationship that has a lot of ties to leather culture, for sure. And probably most historically, if we're to think back.
1: yeah, I think one thing that I would actually like to define, because I don't think we've actually defined it in this podcast yet, is a scene. right. So a scene is oh now that it now that it's actually come to this point, i'm I'm struggling to define a scene. Would you like some assistance, G? I would like some assistance,
0: M. I like to think of scene as a set time frame during which two or more parties, perhaps even one party could be, because you can do self-tying or things like that, are agreeing upon certain kinky activities to mutually engage in, and that that has a start time and an end time, and there's normally negotiations that lead up to that scene, and there's normally in the after part of the scene, there's something called aftercare where you might talk about how the scene went or you might cuddle or you might do any number of things like for some some self-care some mutual care afterwards.
1: Uh yeah, I think I'd largely agree with that definition. For our listeners who might be more vanilla, I think it might also be helpful to think of it as literally a scene from a play. Like
0: Yeah, I mean there's definitely those elements for sure.
1: Like there is it's it's not a whole play. It's just a scene from a play. So you talk about what's going to happen, what the limits and boundaries are, you play out the scene, and then afterwards you do some aftercare, as has been negotiated, or more if, if more is needed.
0: Right. And I know that I've been following some discussion, which I think is helpful, is that it might be useful to reframe scenes not as like what I'm getting from you and what you're getting from me, but, like, what can we create together? Which is also sort of likens to a scene that you might play out. So, what can we create together? What can we imagine together?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're kind of drawing from improv. Right, improv, yeah, absolutely. Sort of, you know, doing some yes-anding and... Right. Stuff like that to sort of play off each other. This is a lot... I feel like this has a lot to do with how I play. Yep. Of sort of, I... I think as a, you know, I don't I don't like to sort of pre-plan a scene down to the minute details. I like to sort of go with the flow, riff off, you know, what, how my partner is reacting and, you know, change up what I'm doing.
0: Something that I'd like to consider in the future, because I had a really good discussion with a friend of mine, is like scening can feel very similar to other, like to nerdy activities like role-playing, role-playing games, or LARPing even. And that's something that, while we're not going to go through in this episode, that's something that we might do in a future topic.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that having a role play for kinky or sexual activity is one of the more sort of accepted kinky activities. Right. So it's definitely something we should talk about, but not this episode. Not this episode, because we're going to talk all about power exchange. Because we're going to be talking about power exchange. So you hear M, Mbot. MBOT. MBOT has a definition for power exchange. Would you yes. like to go over that definition?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like I'm just restating the name, but it's an exchange of power. And so normally that exchange of power occurs between a top dominant master slash mistress. We're going to refer to that group of people as the D type and a bottom submissive slave, et cetera, which we'll refer to as the S type. And that can also occur between switches, of course. So you don't need to be one or the other. You can be both. And as some people have said, and I think I've kind of um, internalized, is that you need to actually have power first to exchange it. And it's an exchange. So this has to naturally flow between the two or more partners.
1: Uh, Could you go a little bit more into depth about that? It's a very interesting statement.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we like to romanticize power exchange. We like to like, cause you had this note here that says it's an enticing idea.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, the note that, that Emma's referring to is I said, obviously power exchange relationships are enticing because so many stories erotic and otherwise have been written about it. And, you know, the second episode we ever did was about 50 shades of gray, which is all talking about power exchange a lot. We've also talked about the movie Secretary. Uh, there's just a lot of erotica which has to deal with power exchange. Right. Uh, Kushiel's Dart. Kushiel, I was just about to mention Kushiel's Dart, yep. Which we probably should do an episode about at some point.
0: Yeah, we, we're absolutely going to do an episode about that. So what I want to say here, I think, is that a lot of people get this like fantastical idea about what power exchange can be. And it certainly can be very erotic and enticing and fantastical, for sure. But when you go into a power exchange relationship, you're you're exchanging the power. So, like, imagine if I wanted to um, let you borrow my car or sell you my car. Well, I probably need to own the car first. That's often the analogy given. Okay. So I like to take it as, like, the S-type has power. The S-type is coming there and they're saying, this is what I have. I have this power. I have this capacity. I have this energy. Or I have these, these interests, these wants, these de- desires, these needs, whatever it is. And I would like to exchange that power. I want to give some of that power over to you to fulfill your needs, wants, fantasies, desires. Or to create something with you that involves an imbalance of power. Where one person has like sort of an upper hand or authority over the other.
1: Alright. That's very interesting. And I also want to note that while... The D-type in these kinds of relationships has command or power. I think it's important to note that the S-type has sort of the ultimate veto, which is that the S-type can safe word if something is not going... Right. The scene is not going the way that is comfortable for the S-type, or if there's something in the relationship that's not working out. The S-type can safe word...
0: Safe word or just
1: communicate their problems. Or just part communicate of the their yeah. problems. And if there is a power exchange relationship which does not have this veto, that raised some red flags for me.
0: Yeah, I would agree that like when I that's also part of the power exchange point is like it seems on the outside that the submissive is giving all of their power, but there's a flow of power. It goes both ways. And so Also, the submissive is taking the power of being able to say, I can veto, I can safe word, I can communicate my problems. I agree that it is generally a red flag if there is absolutely no, quote, out. That's what I'm going to call a safe word of veto, uh, communicating your problems and being heard. There needs to be an out. I know some people are going to disagree with me on that. uh, Because people are very serious about their DS. They think this is it. They can be very serious about their DS. Um, and so they think, no, there's no out for my slave. Or the slave might think, I don't want an out, I want to be owned completely, forever. Wow. Yeah, I get that. I get that on a spiritual level, on a very emotional level. And, I get that and, it's also important to have an out. Because the thing is, people change over time. Your D-type cannot read your mind 100% of the time. You cannot read your D-type's mind 100% of the time people are human. No matter how much you play with removing humanity or changing your humanity within the structure of DS, ultimately, you are still a human being.
1: And also, just real life happens. Like, if you both have to work a job, it's not feasible for the S-type to have to call the D-type every time they want to go to the bathroom at their job.
0: And that might be more reasonable for some S-types. They might have flexibility like that. Yeah. But not every S-type yes will. Yes, um, And that brings me to my next point, which is, like, consensual agreements are key. Explicitly consensual agreements.
1: Yes, we're big on consent here.
0: Yes. So, and, but, consent goes beyond just saying, yes, I want to do this. It goes beyond that. It goes into the nitty-gritty details of, let me really think about how I would react in that situation. Let me really think about how realistic is that. I May mean, really think about, what are my past traumas? Both parties have to do this. Consent is not just, I think this is just my opinion, consent in DS, especially, consent in power exchange, can't just stop at, yes, I agree to XYZ activity, and no, I don't agree to ABC activity.
1: That makes sense to me, but you know, I'm also of the opinion that any relationship is an ongoing dialogue. Right, which you would think would be
0: something that people would just accept. Yes. Uh, but I think that's one of the pitfalls of DS is that people do not give the flexibility. I'm going to talk about a lot about that in this episode. People don't allow it to be an ongoing dialogue.
1: They assume once the contract is written, it is set in stone.
0: Right. And so you can write specific contracts for p- power exchange relationships, but they're not necessary.
1: Yeah. I would like to emphasize this point that contracts are not necessary, nor are they legally binding. Right yeah absolutely. This so, is just yeah. an agreement that you're <laughs> that you just happened to written down and signed right, but don't ever try to take one of these to court
0: right and it's not it's it's like a roommate agreement,
1: yes, right so
0: the contract is ultimately helpful for you in terms of building your relationship. I think of it as an exercise about the two part two or more parties exploring what they would like, how they would like it to be realized so This is just some advice on contract writing. Don't make it all about the S type's duties because I see this time and time again in contracts is the D and the S type will sit down and the D type will say, this is what I expect of you. And this is what I expect of you. And this is how you're going to address me. And this is what I'm going to call you. And it's all about the S type and the S type's duties specifically and what they have to do. No, no, no. The D type also has expectations within the relationship. That's why, again, it's an exchange. It goes two ways, like any relationship.
1: I feel like that should be obvious.
0: You would think that would be obvious, but yet I've looked over contracts. And it's just all about what the... And I've I've been in one, you know, where it's just all been...
1: S-type duties. S-type duties. That's that's weird to me, because I feel like the whole point of this power exchange, you know, however you want to define it, master, slave, dominant, submissive... The whole point is that the the D-type has more power, but with power comes responsibilities. So it's weird to me that people would be willing to have these contracts, which are just about the S-type's duties and obligations, but not about the responsibilities and obligations of the D-type.
0: Yeah, it's... Just a common pitfall that I see. I think because submissives, slaves, bottoms, they're eager to please, they want to fulfill that fantasy they have about that 24-7 dynamic or whatever. It is an enticing fantasy. It is an enticing fantasy. And I think the D-type is also eager, eager to finally have that power and have that control over someone, and... Why should they have to agree to anything? I mean, I've had, literally, I've had D-types say that to me. Why should I have to agree to anything?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay.
0: Yeah. And another piece of advice in terms of writing a contract or negotiating a a power exchange relationship is, you know, build in flexibility. It's going to be impossible to uphold the contract 100% of the time since life can easily intrude. Therefore, I suggest making the contract simple rather than complicated with enough quote outs, not too many outs because you don't want to be making excuses for each other and enabling each other, but enough outs that you can reasonably say, I need to put this on hold, or I need to amend this, or I need to, or we need to sit down and talk about it and come up with a new plan together.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think much like having a safe word in a scene, you know, you need to have you know some way to like be able to communicate outside of the power exchange dynamic just you know it could just be as simple as like i'm getting tired of leftovers we need to we need to go to the grocery store
0: <laughs> i wanted to emphasize a point that is controversial in terms of contracts and especially like how to end terminate a contract what i personally would like in a contract or in a negotiation of a very kind of like serious or 24-7 or or ongoing dynamic is to say, if either party wants to terminate before the end of the contract, then ideally we're giving notice, kind of like we would at work, because it can be an abrupt change to just say, sorry, you're not my slave anymore, peace out, and then you've got to go back to reality with no help from the person who just took all of that power from you for a year, two years, three years, four years however many months or years. That's, in my opinion, and especially I feel it is my responsibility as a d-type that if I were to terminate a kink, an ongoing kink relationship, uh, or power exchange relationship in particular, I would want to be able to have like a cool down period. This is just a suggestion. Not everybody has to do this, obviously, but for me, I'm not gonna let the person who just gave their life over to me, signed their life over to me, and signed over all that power, and who was, you know, especially if they're being constantly in it, I think it's irresponsible for me to just say, you're on your own now.
1: Oh yeah, the more intense the power exchange, I feel like the more responsibility there is to have some sort of uh, cool down period. Yeah,
0: where like both parties can work together to get back on equal footing and slowly get out of that dynamic. So that's just my one suggestion, because I've been in, in a situation where there was an abrupt abrupt ending, and that person had essentially, you know, taken my identity and reformulated my identity through DS, and then I had to kind of put the pieces back together with, in a very abrupt time period, which was a risk that I was
1: taking. I will say that, too. Do you
0: have any comments on that, G?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's... You know, we have to give, what, 30 days notice if we want to leave an apartment, and, you know, I feel like... Sometimes three months. Some, yeah, anywhere from, like, 120 to 30 days, so, you know, I I feel like it's not, it's not a big ask to be like, well, we've been in this, heck, there, there have been times where, like, in a non-power exchange relationship, like, where you've kind of had, I've had, like, a cool-down period, you know, as a relationship ends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't feel like it's that big of an ask for this kind of intense power exchange to be like, I look, if this ends, then we need to have some sort of like normalization back to reality, Reality, more vanilla Equality, life. Vanilla, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this can obviously apply to relationships that are non-power exchange. I mean, if you really have like a, uh, any kind of ongoing relationship with someone or even a friendship, anything really that you want to shift or change kind of dramatically, it can be useful to ut- utilize these normali- normalization periods or these cool-down periods where you can kind of walk through it together. Even though, yeah, it's gonna be painful, it's gonna suck, it's gonna be sad, it's gonna be all those things, but I think it's it's better for both parties. So talking about all of these kind of contract things, I wanted to bring up a quote from this book called Real Service by Raven Kildera and his boy Joshua Tempany. And I've actually have seen them teach different classes at various events. Um, And I do enjoy this book. I don't agree with everything in it. I'll say that up front. And, you know, nobody's going to agree with everything. But I thought it was thoughtful. And now it does address, what I want to preface, is it does address more of an intense kind of 24-7 ongoing relationship. But I thought that this quote could apply to power exchange relationships in general. So they were talking about in the book how they were going back and forth figuring out how they wanted to set up their protocols, and they were noticing sort of the pitfalls that were naturally coming out of this experience. And they said, quote, The biggest lesson that we learned from this was that it's better to have only a few rules, protocols, and delineated services, and be able to keep track of every one Remember to enforce them and have the servant work on perfecting their delivery than to have a whole lot of rules to which both parties can only give a half-assed amount of attention. I think that's really important.
1: I mean, this also makes sense to me as somebody who runs a lot of, well, doesn't run, but reads a lot of RPG rule books.
0: You want to run.
1: I want to run. Someday. Someday I'll, I'll run, but... A rule book that has less rules in it means it's easier to remember those rules. You know, as much as I love D&D, God forbid if somebody, you know, has to figure out what their jump distance is when they've got the jump spell on and combine that with their strength and it's, it's a whole fucking mess. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think there is, uh, there is a virtue in having a minimal amount of rules that you can actually remember.
0: Right. And ultimately, it'll make both parties feel more successful that they can remember the rules. Or all the parties feel more successful because they can remember all the rules. Just like an RPG, playing it, it streams, streamlines things, makes things less stressful on everyone. Um, and in terms of a relationship, less rules that you can actually keep track of, it's going to make people feel accomplished. So before we get deeper into protocols, I wanted to address the use of collars. So there's several different types of collars. And before I go into this a little bit more, gee, have you ever worn a collar or have you ever put a collar on someone else for the purpose of power exchange?
1: I have given a collar to (laughs) T. This is before I realized I was not particularly interested in this kind of stuff. Uh, It was more of a day collar kind of thing because... And what is a
0: day collar? Could you explain what that is?
1: uh, A day collar is something that can sort of pass as just sort of maybe like a necklace or a choker. It's something that you could wear out in public and nobody will uh, look askance at it. So the one that I got for tea was sort of a, uh, I forgot the material was, it was like a pink braided collar with a little uh, flower on it, plumeria flower on it. That's cute. Yeah. But obviously the collar that most people think of when they think of DS is the leather collar.
0: Either a thick leather collar with like a D ring, or the eternity collar that's sort of that big steel collar, Mm -hmm. normally also with a, a D ring. Or what is the other type of ring, not the D ring, an O ring?
1: Yeah, O ring, I think.
0: Yeah, those are sort of the two main types is like that heavy steel collar
1: or a thick leather collar. Those are kind of more formal or more showy. Usually only worn at, at kink events. Though I have actually seen people wear the the steel collar just out in public.
0: Yeah, a lot of those are actually permanent collars for a lot of those people. They're called eternity collars. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think one, that's one of the brands. And also, I'm not trying to sell any specific brand of them. I'm, that's just the one that's coming to my mind right now. Yeah. But yeah, those are like locked, and then they don't really come off. That was my impression. For a lot of people who use them. So yeah, you'll see people out and about who are wearing those. I used to wear a thick leather collar out to even, like, work back when I was in, in college, and yeah, people were, like, weirded out. They were like, why are you wearing that? But ultimately, I did it because I wanted to, and it was something that I, my collar was something that I selected. I actually bought it for myself. It was black, and it had green, dark green, um, edges on it, and I It was very soft, and the dark green related to being a boy, a leather boy, so that's often either dark green, hunter green is flagged for either uh, leather daddy or leather boy. And I had some disturbing experiences though, I mean, I remember one person at work like actually grabbed the D-ring and was like, what is this for? You know? And I was like really shocked that somebody would actually touch it and very aggressively like that too. But you know, if you see someone out and about with a collar, don't freaking do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the most part, just just let let people be. Right. Uh, like so the so the the event that sticks out most to my mind when it comes to just seeing collars in public was I was I was on a road trip and we stopped at a uh a Skyline Chili, Skyline, whatever. We stopped at this place and the the person uh, who was taking the orders at the counter was wearing a rather large and rather obvious uh, steel collar. And it's one of those things where, I mean, I think a leather, co- a leather collar, like, there's more of association with kink with that. But if it's just, like, a large steel thing, like, uh, if you don't know what it means, a lot of people are like, oh, I guess it's just a weird necklace. Or it's like a weird fashion statement or something. Yeah. Or,
0: yeah. And for know. some people, honestly, it is. Like... Even, like, what I'm saying, like, with um, my leather collar, I would wear that out, and that wasn't even to signify, necessarily, my relationship.
1: Yeah, I do want to emphasize this point. Just because somebody is wearing a collar, even if they're yes. at a kink club yes. or a kink event, does not automatically mean that they are a submissive or an S-type.
0: Snaps to that.
1: I wish I could actually snap my fingers,
0: because I would. That's honestly... <laughs> This is such an amazing point that G is bringing up right now.
1: Because there is actually a point where uh, we went to an event together, and I was looking at a collar, and you were offering to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "It is a pre- it was a very pretty collar. But there are a lot of assumptions that comes with yes. collars in the scene, and I don't actually know how much I would actually wear it if you were to buy it for me.
0: I think also I've had the experience that I was wearing that thick leather collar actually not not too long ago at a hypnosis event, and I just noticed like I had gone to one hypnosis event and I didn't wear any collar, and I got a lot of propositions for play. I got a lot of people interested in doing play with me, but then the minute that I showed up at the event with the collar, people automatically assumed I was owned, my time was taken. Whereas, like, I actually didn't have any ongoing relationship with anybody
1: um, that owned me at all. Uh, yes, because the stereotype is that the D type will give a collar to an S type. Right. I think that's to sort of signify that the power exchange relationship is serious. Yeah. And so, oftentimes, if you read if you read about it in erotica or others other sort of stories about power exchange, the in fact, the there's a whole like, oftentimes there's a whole like collaring ceremony. I feel like in these in this kind of literature. Yeah, and they actually
0: they do actually happen in real life as well. Okay. Collaring. I've been to a couple of collaring ceremonies, and they've been really nice events. And it's it's like somewhat akin to like a an engagement engagement party. party yeah, I feel like yes. And so that's actually a point I want to bring up is like discuss with your partner or partners what exactly a collar means to you. Because some people take them really seriously, and they're like an engagement ring. And some people don't. don't. They're just like, they're just a collar. And some people are like, yeah, I take them really seriously, but I also want one right now, and I don't want to wait. Because like, we're already in this relationship. It's not like, because some, you know, if it's an engagement ring thing, then it's like, oh, we should wait a while to do it. Whatever, there's lots of different levels of collaring too. There's like training collars and consideration collars, and I don't even know anymore. For me, I'm just like, I like to wear my collar. Like, I give it to myself. It is a form of me stating my power exchange, but it's a power exchange between myself and myself, and some people also can't even fathom that. But, like, I have been in a relationship where I kind of expected the other party to collar me fairly quickly because we were in a very intense MS, master-slave dynamic, and I was like, oh, okay, then I guess I'm gonna get a collar, and, like, that's just what's gonna happen. And that didn't happen. And actually, after, like, four years, I remember still being told I still had to earn it. And so, like, what am I reaching for? What are the goals here that this other party was expecting me to reach that I didn't even know were existing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I feel like that goes back to our earlier comments about communication and a power exchange relationship. Where there's a certain point, probably after the first year, (laughs) instead of four years, where it's like oh, well, I think we need to have a talk about what this actually means because right. we're in this intense relationship, but we still haven't got the signifier of the relationship. Right. And you're kind of dangling it over me yes. uh, like a carrot. Yes,
0: exactly. So, you know, if a color is important to you as an S-type, but your partner doesn't want to give it to you for a certain period of time, are you okay with that? Like, these are all things that you should be discussing way up front in the dynamic. That's how I feel. And we had our episode about communicating about communicating, so like communicate about this stuff. Communicate about signifiers and it, how important they are to you, and like when does it become a necessity for you? So those those are just my thoughts on collars.
1: Uh, I also think much like engagement rings, you need to. I feel like the person giving the collar needs to ha- at least needs to talk to the to the the S type about yes. what kind of collar. They want, yep. Because not everybody likes the the steel collars. Right. Not everybody likes the leather, leather collars. Collar, right. Some of them want paracord. Some of them want paracord. Some of them want to be a certain color. You know, right. it's much like engagement rings. There's a bunch of different styles. and You need to know yep. what style your S type likes, and you know you can even. You can even let the even even let the S type pick it out and be yeah. like, "All right, when you earn this, I'll give it to you." But for right now, I just I'm holding on to it.
0: And also, I hate that. I really actually hate that phrase "earn it." Like, what does earning it mean? Actually, I like to subvert that. I love subverting DS dynamics. Okay. And power exchange dynamics. No fucking. I don't earn that collar. You earn, like my trust. You earn my service. That's what I want to see that's just my opinion. I come to the relationship in a very powerful way, um, which is not the vibe that everybody wants in their DS dynamic. But for me, I'm like, no, I don't need to earn shit. That's just how I feel. But you can always talk about that um, explicitly. So I had mentioned in the quote about real service, about protocols briefly. So now I wanted to dive into protocols and rules.
1: I may have already asked you this in this episode, but my memory is terrible. What is a protocol?
0: I don't think you've asked me that yet. Mm. Uh, So a protocol in sort of a power exchange relationship is what I think of as like protocols are sets of rules or expectations to be carried out at certain times and situations which may be ongoing or strictly situational. So they might occur only at a specific time in a certain place. They might occur at a certain time every day. For example, like a good night message might occur every day at, at night. Um, a good morning message. They might only occur when you're out to dinner. Let's just say you're out to dinner and you always have to ask permission to start eating, but only when you're out to dinner, never at home. Protocols can be like your routine when you get home from work. Like, okay, I I come home from work. I uh, do the dishes. I make sure that the bed is made up for the night or whatever, these kind of routines.
1: A good example, if you want to see... Protocols and Media is actually the secretary. Mm-hmm, I feel the like. secretary, yeah. Because es- essentially, I am completely blanking on that actor's name. I don't know anybody's names of anything.
0: Uh, she's gonna look it up.
1: I'm, I'm gonna look it up because he's blanking. So the secretary
0: is a movie, which sort of features a kinky dynamic. James Spader. Oh,
1: James Spader. Yes. Essentially, the whole movie is about James Spader setting out protocols. For his secretary, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie who? Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Okay. And he's essentially setting out protocols all the time in that movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been a while since I've watched The Secretary, but essentially it's him setting rules all the time yep. and punishing her when she breaks the rules.
0: Yeah, and also want to preface: it's not a just like Fifty Shades. It's not a perfect example of a real DS dynamic. But it, I actually, I think, I never watch Fifty Shades, as everybody knows, if they, if they listen to our episode on Fifty Shades. But from my understanding, Secretary is a little bit better than Fifty Shades in terms of what actually happens. But at the same time, it's still also not a realistic, it is a film, it is a movie. Would you agree with that assessment?
1: Yes. I mean, some of the issues that I have with Fifty Shades of Grey also apply to this movie in that the kink is often a expression of past trauma. But I do think it handles it a little bit better. It handles it a little bit better, yeah. Fifty Shades.
0: Yeah, so that's a great example of sort of like protocol in media. And my suggestion when handling like one pointer when handling protocols is to have levels of protocol. So don't always expect a high level of protocol because always expecting high or very formal protocol can easily become exhausting. It's not practical. If you want to do it and you can, go for it. You know, that's fine. I'm not here to judge your dynamic. But I find that having at least a high and a low level protocol is helpful in naturally mixing things up, giving people breaks without, quote, breaking the dynamic. And you can even include like a mid-level if you want something in between as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, and to uh, kind of relate this to film theory, you know, you can't... I mean, you can, but usually films are better when they're not all just one kind of thing. So, you know, you can have dramatic moments in a comedy movie, and that heightens the comedy, because it's not just jokes all the time. Right. You can have moments of levity in a drama, so it's not just drama all the time. You can, you know, you can have moments of romance in an action film, because... You just don't want to be action all the time. You don't want to just be guns and explosions all the time, you know, you want to have a break from the guns and explosions, and that gives you a break so that you can enjoy the next bit rather than just sort of being saturated with the same level all the time.
0: Absolutely. That's a great analogy. Uh, Thank you, G. You also suggested giving some examples. So I just wanted to provide some examples of what I might see in a high protocol versus a low protocol. And this is just relating to me and my preferences and every dynamic is different. So please negotiate your own dynamic, but these are just some ideas. So in a high protocol for me, I might expect the person to like walk two steps behind me or maybe in front of me. Um, at all times, having them ask permission to use the restroom, having to ask permission to start to eat, only speaking when, only speaking when addressed and having to use titles with every sentence. So those might be like high protocol things. Whereas like a low protocol might be only having to use titles occasionally. Um, instead of having to ask permission to eat, they might just wait for the D type to start eating first. Um, and then eating. Uh, that was your example that you brought up. Uh, not needing permission for everything all the time, but maybe needing permission only in very specific
1: circumstances.
0: So those are, you know, contrasting examples.
1: Yeah. So you can, so you can have, you know, high protocol when you go out to a kink event or maybe when you're at home. Right. And then when you're going kind of, out, maybe right, just in have public or to at a pro- vanilla event. Yeah. yeah. Low protocol. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. So now there are pitfalls of protocols. And the number one pitfall is that they cause resentment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also take, I mean, besides resentment, I feel like the number one pitfall is that it takes time and energy to remember and enforce these protocols, which is both on the S-type and, and on, the on the D-type.
0: And that's why we said in, towards the beginning of the podcast, like, have fewer protocols rather than more protocols. <laughs> fewer is better. Isn't that like something about toilet paper? Toilet paper? Less is more something. Isn't that one of the slogans? Or maybe it's the paper towels? I can't remember. Okay. I just have this idea of this commercial, and it's like, less is more. No? No. Okay, whatever. Anyway, less is more. That's my opinion. So, some resentment causing things is D-types and S-types can have conflicting values about what protocols make the most sense. So, in the book Real Service, which I talked about earlier the two authors were going back and forth about like one was more focused on efficiency and getting things done really efficient, while the other one was focusing on like enjoying the pleasure of it as much as possible. And so they weren't very focused on efficiency. So it's one example of conflicting values. And now I I will say that especially competent S types might think their ideas are better. And I know I'm I'm one of them.
1: <laughs> I feel like this is one of the issues that T has in trying to find a D-type is that T is one of the smartest people I know. And she can only find, she can only submit to somebody who she feels is competent, which means somebody who she feels like is an expert in, in being a D-type. Which
0: I will say right there, T is amazing. And yes, she's freaking smart. And she's extremely confident. And I feel like that in my heart too. Like when I seek D types, I get that. And at the same time, the quote that I'm about to quote from real service might shed some light on why that's not the best approach or like a different minds, a different perspective that it might offer. Okay. So I know I'm also driven. I'm like, they have to be an expert you know, on DS or whatever. And because I've, I've been the S type for so long and now I, de- I do a little bit more of the D side. I feel like I was able to bring my experiences as a bottom to top better. That is an advantage that I have. And I, and before I quote this quote, I will say that the quote from Real Service, again, is more about 24-7 dynamics. That being said, it can still apply to other situations. And Instinctually, I don't really agree with this quote, which is so funny. But I also like in like my first instinct is like, oh, I don't agree with that. But then I'm like, Oh, wait, this makes sense. Like I have to sit with it a little bit. So All that's right. my prefacing.
1: Well, let's hear this quote. Okay.
0: It's both easy and terribly hard. The master's priorities win every time while the master might choose to take the servant's ideas into consideration and might even change their minds if they think the ideas are good enough. They are not obligated to do so. The servant is obligated to do things the master's way. And if they're a good servant, they should work on not acting too resentful while they're doing it. And this is specifically about the circumstance of conflicting values. This is not saying like that the servant is feeling like really uncomfortable in the dynamic and doesn't want to do something. This is saying like the servant has gone into this thinking my idea is better than yours. I have better values than you do well, sorry, the master's in charge. That's what you signed up for. And ultimately, like it says, the master can take into consideration the servant's ideas, can absolutely change their minds and even incorporate what the servant is saying. But ultimately, that's the master's choice. And I think that that's something as an S-type I've had to work on because I constantly want to think, my way is better. I know how to be a better D-type than you. That's stupid. I want to have this power exchange relationship with you. So yeah, I'm going to have to fucking listen to you. (laughs) So what do you think about that quote?
1: It's interesting. I, I think part of this, part of this, I forget which episode we talked about this, but there's a point where we talked about in the podcast about there's a difference between going along with the dynamic and really believing in the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this quote is really about that difference yeah. of there's a difference between like, I'm brushing my teeth because my parents told me to brush my teeth. Versus, I'm brushing my teeth because I know it is good for my dental health to brush my teeth. And that difference, if you can't get that sort of belief in, I feel like can easily lead to resentment. Yep,
0: absolutely. That's a good analogy as well. Man, you're just full of good analogies today, G.
1: Yeah. I'm digging it. You
0: could call me the
1: analogy. Analogy? Oh, I saw where you were going with that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's cute. Uh, <coughs> sorry. So
1: that's... <laughs> I, th- I think we just lost our half, half our
0: podcasting audience. <laughs> oh, pl- we love puns here. So that's one way that resentment can occur. And then another way was something that you touched on briefly, which is that resentment can also occur when the S type slacks or the D type stops enforcing or both. And this becomes sort of a vicious cycle, which creates resentment on both sides. It's not good. So this is why all of my advice about... Choose only a few protocols. Make sure you really negotiate about them. Be flexible. You have to be consistent, and you also have to be flexible.
1: And keep on communicating with each other. Exactly. Ongoing dialogue. Because I think part of the way that resentment builds is that you just... It's an issue, but it's an issue that doesn't get addressed. Right. And the only way to address it is to talk about it. Right.
0: Now, I am almost an over-communicator, which I think we talked about in our communicating on communicating episode. I like to inform people about my thoughts. So in a previous DS dynamic that I was in, I was always being like, hey, this doesn't work for me, or hey, I want to try something new, or hey, and mm, I'm proud of myself for being able to voice those things, and sometimes I think it was not helpful, because sometimes I didn't actually let myself experience that dynamic for what it was, kind of like we were just going back to that quote. So sometimes communicating is good, and at the same time also letting yourself experience things yeah, and, and making a fair assessment is also good. Giving
1: some time for your process. Giving some
0: time to process, yes, which I think that's where I need to get better.
1: So, I am probably oh, the opposite in that I spend way too much time too processing. Too much time processing, yep. Yeah.
0: We are like we are def- definitely the opposite in that regard. So my next note is on micromanaging for, versus mic- macromanaging.
1: Okay. Well, I, I'm a little curious. What, what do you mean by this?
0: So this is some terminology that is frequently used within the master-slave uh, kind of community. Micromanaging is sort of like rules for like every specific little thing, and like needing to have constant updates or needing to constantly enforce the dynamic in every single part of the person's life. And macro managing is sort of saying like broader rules or broader protocols. Protocols. I'm more of a micro. Ma- I'm more of a macro managing person. I like to macro-manage people, and I like people to macro-manage me. And ideally, you know, I didn't touch on this. I did mention in the beginning that switches can engage in power exchange relationships. And I actually would really like to try an MS switch dynamic. Because a lot of people didn't even know that that was a thing. But now, actually, when you go to, like, master-slave meetings, like the masked Master and Slaves Together, I think that's what that's called. Um, yes. Yeah. Mass yes, meetings. Masked meaning? Yes, mast. Mast. Um, now they even have, normally they'll have a section that says, like, they'll be like master, slave, or MS switch. So you can even say that you're an MS switch. And I would ideally like to be macromanaging a person and that person macromanaging me. That's something that I really enjoy. I'm not a micromanaging per- because, person because I still like to carry some kind of, like, authority or power, even in when the, within the context of an exchange. So I don't want you to micromanage everything about my life. But...
1: Also, who's got time for that? Who's got
0: I know. I know. I know. I, I don't know.
1: I mean, obviously some people do. Obviously
0: some people do because it works for some people, and that's cool. Uh,
1: but I ain't got time for that. No,
0: I, I don't have time for that either.
1: Um, I don't have the mental... No. I don't have the mental uh, will to, for that.
0: No, and also I'm really busy with school, and I'm really busy with other projects, and I'm like, I, I need to focus on myself too. But... I was going to say, the only time I'm really cool with micromanaging is in a scene. Because again, that's a short period of time. So if I actually negotiate, like, okay, let's do this really hot scene where you control absolutely everything I do. Like, exactly how I'm supposed to eat. Exactly how I'm supposed to drink or when. Like, how how many sips can I take at a time? How many peas can I eat? That's the example from the secretary, I think. Remember he, like, calls her and says you can only eat so many peas or something?
1: Uh, no, I'm blanking. So okay. It's been... It's been a long time. Okay. Well, yeah, so, like, that's, I
0: kind of like that in a short time frame. Okay. So that can be very enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It seems, the micromanaging seems like it's a lot easier to do in a short time frame rather than trying to make that an entire relationship style. Right.
0: And along those lines, I had mentioned micromanaging and, like, that I like to bring a lot of power, even as a bottom. There's this concept within the MS community, uh, which is a power-slave dynamic. And the power-slave dynamic is essentially, and this is how I've, I've heard it worded when I've gone to workshops, is the D type provides the framework and guidance, and the S type provides the power and capacity. And I really like this, and I'm very well attuned to this type of relationship in both directions, because I like providing like a framework and being like, let's imagine what we can create together now, these are the main objectives that I have for you. This is the main criteria that I have for you. Let's do it.
1: An example actually pops to mind okay. of this. And and this is from the A Touch of Flavor podcast, oh, okay. which I listen to. Basically, the two hosts are Cassie and Rigel. Cassie is the D-type and Rigel is the S-type. Wait, or is it... Yeah, I believe it's Touch of Flavor. I don't think it's the other kinky podcast I listen to. Well, we might
0: be wrong, listeners, but that's all Uh, right.
1: But the example is that the D-type, which I believe is Cassie... Yeah, I'm going to stick with Cassie and Rigel, because that's what I think it's from. So Cassie doesn't like to order food.
0: Oh, yeah, this is a great example. I love this example.
1: So she gives some guidelines to her S-type, Rigel, and he basically looks over the menu and he orders for her. Now... I think in a more sort of classical power exchange relationship, this would be seen as the job of the D-type to order for the... For the S-type, yeah. For the S-type. But in this case, Cassie is the D-type, but she does not like having to look through a menu and decide between all the various options. So she has delegated that task to Rigel.
0: Right, and this is where I really appreciate that style. This is very much subverting those traditional traditional dynamics and I love subverting traditional dynamics something that's from real service this book talks about like what if the masters or the d-types are really into doing the chores and really into cooking and really into all of that so this is sort of on the other side it's like they're talking about just like a conversation that they had and and the d-type says but I like cooking and doing the laundry why should I give that away to my slave or I'm a better cook or auto mechanic or whatever than my slave why shouldn't I be the one to do it And then Raven responds to this and says, the answer is, if you want to be the one to do it, of course you should be the one to do it. If there are certain chores that you love and that you're good at, then by all means do them. So in a traditional dynamic, it's sort of like the D-type puts all the chores and all the domestic stuff or whatever, all the service on the S-type. But actually, the D-type can still enjoy doing those things and
1: actually do them. And sometimes, you know, the D type might just be better at something than the S type. Right. And while some of the dynamic may be teaching the S type how to be better at right. this activity, the fact of the matter is the D type just might be better at it.
0: Right. You know? Absolutely. Uh like I love I love uh I love X very much. And obviously he listens by the way, listeners, he listens to this podcast, he beta listens, and I'm very appreciative to him for that. He's he doesn't really have as much experience cooking. So I cook a lot. But part of our dynamic is that he sort of learns from me. He helps me cook. That's an activity we enjoy doing together. Um, So even though I'm the one that's doing that, there's still a power exchange going on. Yeah. Even if it's subtle. So where was I at with this? Okay. So we were, oh yeah, the power slave dynamics. That was a great example that you brought up. Um, And this is the type of dynamic that I really enjoy. And there's also another concept, a kind of a debate within the power exchange community, is like, is there a difference between power ex- power exchange and authority exchange? So a lot of people who are in, like, the power-slave dynamics say that they are in authority-exchange relationships because actually the slave is keeping all of the power, but the M-type or the D-type is the one who's going to have the authority. sticking taking the authority. And I've heard this style of dynamic likened to, um, military... Ask Dynamics, like the authority exchange ones, because like the shol- soldier is still said to have power.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that before, but I think if you look earlier in the show notes, there's a point where I said the D-type has command slash power in the relationship. Yes, And I often think like command is a better word mm-hmm. than power. Than power, yeah. Because the D-type is essentially, as far as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the T type is essentially the one who is directing the relationship. Um, and
0: that's where a lot of people would disagree with you. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, not a lot of people. I think that's a traditional way of viewing it. All right. That's very opposite my relationship with it.
1: Okay. Uh, but that direction can take a lot of forms. Like, it could be like, I order you to do all these things. Right, yes. Or it could be like, you know, I don't want to have to deal with this, so you're going to make the decisions on this. Right. And I feel yeah, like it can manifest in
0: different ways. Yeah.
1: Which, you know, that's Right.
0: But this also goes back to another concept in power exchange kind of theory, which is that there's a difference between like service oriented submission submission and obedience oriented submission. And so you can be you can have both, you can be both. Service is can be anticipatory. So For me, like, especially being a power slave, I don't like to wait around for orders. I like to do things, my own initiative, I like to be anticipatory, I like to play around, I like to be creative. Yeah, I do, I do like obedience-based, like, receiving the orders sometimes, and then doing those things. That's really hot, too. And for me, that's more, that's more applicable to a scene, or more applicable to a short-term or a casual dynamic. But in terms of a long-term sustainable dynamic, for me, that's where I want to be more service-oriented in that I'm sort of able to have more flexibility. And I'm actually doing a little bit of the directing if I'm on the S side. So obedience oriented kind of people are more looking for, I wanna be told what to do. Whereas service oriented people might want to focus on the acts of service themselves and not necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be told to do them. And you can be a mixture of both. Like I am definitely, I, both appeal to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's a spectrum much like a lot of things like,
0: are. In life, yeah, of course. So to the question now is, to 24-7 or not to 24-7? And 24-7 is this idea of, you know, having an ongoing power exchange relationship all of the time, 100% of the time, and it's really a hot, intense idea, and I totally applaud anyone who wants to go for it, and I do think it's possible if the right people are involved and the structure is consistent yet has room for flexibility. But it is really rare to do 24 7 in the true sense of the word. So, if you're going for this approach, try to analyze what parts of the dynamic are purely fantasy and are not really sustainable in the long term, and what parts are actually realistic and sustainable. Like, that's my best advice if you're going to go for this type.
1: Yes, I feel like this, I feel like the downfall of many 24 7 relationships is people have read too much erotica.
0: That is true, uh, or yeah. watch too much porn.
1: Yes, so the fact of the matter is, not everybody who's a D-type is a billionaire who can afford to have, have you kneel in lingerie while waiting for them waiting for him to come home from his multi-billion dollar business. Uh, you know, life still happens. You still got to meet the parents got to hang out with friends, have social activities, groceries need to be picked up, if there are children, children still need to be raised, you know, they, these are things life still happens despite the DS dynamic. And I think if you're going to try for a 24/7, you need to be really realistic on when it's going to be high protocol and when it's going to be low protocol because I think for a majority of people low protocol is how it's going to be most of the time.
0: Right. With those high protocols being those like those exceptions the special moments, the special occasions yeah, the kink events, the whatever it is. And that'll make those moments even more powerful and even more meaningful.
1: Yeah. I also think that I suspect a lot of people who first get into these kind of 24-7 dynamics like in the beginning I imagine it can be easy because you've got that not only have you got, like, new relationship energy, you've got new power exchange relationship energy.
0: Yeah, it's, like, super intense in the beginning. Everybody's like, this is so hot, this is amazing, this is my fantasy, this is my dream, I want to make it happen.
1: And I think everybody needs to be prepared for the fact that eventually that new relationship energy is going to go away, and then you are just going to have to deal with the fact that you're in this relationship now, and you need to make this relationship work.
0: Yep. So... 24-7 is one way to do it, but also people really devalue short time or occasional or casual power exchange. And power power exchange relationships can be casual like any other relationship, and I know some people who are listening might disagree with me there. I've had people tell me, you can't be in a casual power exchange relationship. Power exchange is serious. Fuck you. I'm gonna do power exchange however I want to do it. And that means it can be casual. I don't have to be there 100% of the time. We don't have to be in it 100% of the time let's do a hot scene let's do a once a month thing you know maybe you have a power exchange relationship with someone only once a month during a dedicated play date or a weekend or maybe you're only in a power exchange relationship when you go to the club together or maybe you're in a power exchange relationship spontaneously when it feels right to both or all parties without expectation of ongoing power exchange so these are also valid options and i think that the community kind of downplays the value of
1: these. Uh, yeah, I mean, they these all sound a lot more appealing to me than being in a continuous power exchange relationship. I I have done the occasional power exchange scene where, like, I'm ordering somebody about. That could be really hot. Like, don't get me wrong. I can really like that. I can really like that, really like that huh? Uh, but the idea of trying to do that yeah, for a whole relationship, just even just imagining it is, like, mentally exhausting to me. And... I think it's, you know, I think it's okay to just have a, have a scene. I think it's okay to just have somebody where, you know, we, we meet up once a month and we do this scene and it's super hot and then we go back to our regular lives. Yep.
0: Yeah. I really enjoy these options too. And I really enjoy power exchange scenes. And one last note that I want to say on it too, is another way that I've done power exchange scenes is with hypnosis. So that's one of my biggest kinks. And for me, hypnosis can be a good way to explore sort of a brief, really intense and concentrated power exchange with someone. So while it isn't everybody's goal with hypnosis, and it's not my only goal, it does allow one to give over their mind consensually, which can have a lot of power exchange undertones. And so you might be making someone think or feel like they're a slave or a mindless servant or any number of themes that you can play with.
1: Or a robot.
0: Or a robot, that's one of my things really into that, really thinking about Westworld now. Okay. And so, yes, I value these things too. And I welcome Power Exchange in a multitude of forms. And I hope that everybody who's listened has been able to journey along with us as we've pointed out some of the common pitfalls and some of the really awesome things about Power Exchange.
1: Yeah, I hope. I think this has been a, maybe one of our more informative... Absolutely episodes uh, we had a lot of content and we had a
0: lot of good communication during this episode
1: okay uh let's not pat ourselves on the back too oh much. you're right yeah sorry sorry listeners but if you'd like more content like this you can tip us using the link at the bottom of each of the show notes
0: yep and um please share this with your friends
1: enemies or frenemies and then i think it's time to sign off time to sign off all right this is g this is M. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast. You can find us at knppodcast.tumblr.com, or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.polly at gmail.com.
0: doesn't want to be used for your trivial
1: purposes. Uh, I think there's only one vessel to Zundar here, and it's me.
0: Yeah, but you're not a very good vessel to Zundar. I've been talking to Zundar. <laughs> and he's like, G is the worst vessel.
1: <laughs> you've been talking to Zundar? Uh, I believe as the a- <laughs> vessel to Zundar, I'd know about this. You
0: wouldn't know, because, you, like, you've told me Zundar does not always reside inside of you. Zundar comes and goes as they please.
1: Are are we having a schism in our make-believe cult? This make-believe
0: cult is very important to me. I get very emotional about Zundar, and you think it's just a joke. (laughs) And it's not a joke. Zundar is... Even better than what you could imagine.
1: (laughs) Really? Yes. Zundar is even better than I could imagine. Mm -hmm. I.e. the person who imagined Zundar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But then you put it out into the world and now I can imagine Zundar and it's even better than what you imagined Zundar to be. You've fallen short. I've fallen short? Yes. You were like, oh, I'm just going to create basically a god, but not a god, but then only I'm going to be the vessel, but I'm not even a good vessel. And I was like, hold up. Zundar deserves the best vessel.
1: Are you claiming to be a vessel of Zundar now? I am not
0: a vessel of Zundar. I am just, I'm at one with Zundar. Like, I am at one with the marketing. Zundar and I stay up and we have late night chats. Do you have late night chats with Zundar? No, you don't, because you're a a bad vessel. But me, I'm... I mean,
1: I don't know how late these chats can go, since you're in bed by 10 o'clock. It's the power
0: of Zundar that keeps me awake. To 10 o'clock. No. It transcends normal reality. What you see as me sleeping is me going to the other the other world to discuss with Zundar
1: <laughs> See what it sounds like is the last stinger was literally you saying I'm concerned about you starting a cult G Yeah <laughs> And what it sounds like (laughs) is you're getting ready to proselytize to the world about Zundar. Well, you weren't going to, because you're the worst vessel.
0: (laughs) Someone had to do it, and it better be the person with the marketing skills. (laughs)